Politics is, is, is a meritocracy in the sense that if you get yourself elected, you're entitled to be there. And so nobody can say, well, you know, who are you? you, know, you mere woman. Well, yeah, I may be a mere woman, but I got elected. It was very clear to me that uh, the legislature was, or it was recently, an old boys club. You know, it, it was very male-dominated. People ask me, what, what do I have to do to get in politics? I said, you have to have a burning gut to do something. If you don't have it, you, sure, you can get in it. But you'll get torn down very quickly. People will be in the galleries and they'll be shouting down at you and I mean, be saying awful things about your mother and your relatives, and your children and your pets. Welcome back. It's Kate Graham here, and this is No Second Chances where we explore the experiences of women in Canada's most senior political roles. Only a dozen women have ever served as a Canadian Premier or Prime Minister. They cross all political stripes, span Canada's vast geography, and their political careers cover three decades. And yet there are some wild similarities to their stories. In this podcast series, we're walking alongside these women. We started in their childhoods, of the girls who would later become Canada's first ministers. We looked at what inspired them to make that first big step into public office. We heard about the things that deter women from running, and what exactly it was that made these women take the leap anyway. Today, we move into the next chapter of this journey. Each of these 12 women ran for office, and eventually, they won. Our rookie politicians are in for quite a ride as they begin their lives in politics. And so, it begins. Uh, it's... The experience I'll, I'll never forget. But every day you were on the road and you worked from early in the morning to late at night. And when the campaign was over, uh, you certainly were relieved that you'd won. But uh, then you're, you're on a high and then uh, it sets in. That was Catherine Callbeck. She was elected to the Legislative Assembly of Prince Edward Island in 1974. She was 35 years old. This was the beginning of a three-decade-long career in politics. Catherine expressed what a lot of people experience when they're first elected to office. Campaigning is very different from governing. For me, it was very interesting to evolve into one of those people because I had worked for people like that and I had worked with people like that and I had worked to get people elected, but I had never been the candidate. I'd never been the elected member. That's Alison Redford, the former Premier of Alberta, who was first elected to office in 2008. And, and I would doorknock eight, seven, eight hours a day. And it was incredible how it became a process um, sort of, it's sort of like the frog in the boiling water. You don't realize that you're starting to play a different role in terms of how you talk to people, uh, how you listen to people, how you start to connect what different people are saying, um, you know, the sorts of things that really resonate with you. And, and so slowly, I think what really impacted me the most was by the time that I was elected as the MLA, I had a sense of this riding that I was going to represent that was entirely different than anything I'd thought of 
when I started six months before. And I think at that time, I just thought, well, I'll become an MLA and then I'll go to Edmonton and I'll be in a caucus. And I, I hadn't thought, apart from what I said I wanted to do, I hadn't thought an awful lot about how I was going to do that. And so um, by the time I the election happened, it was quite interesting for me to have learned what I did about myself in terms of how I was going to do that. The frog in boiling water is a good way to describe it. In the lead up to an election, candidates become hyper-focused on their campaigns. And they have to. They spend huge amounts of time connecting with people, and often in a very different way than they're used to. And then if they're lucky, they win. And all of a sudden, they are an elected official with all of the expectations, pressures, and demands that that role carries. For many, this can be a hard transition. But I was not a good candidate. And then I get elected, and I go into the legislature, and I was terrible. That's Christy Clark, first elected in 1996 at the age of 30. I, was, I didn't expect to be so bad at it. I wasn't good at public speaking. I wasn't good at debating. I wasn't, um, I didn't look good on TV. I didn't know how to dress. I wasn't good at um, persuading people to vote for me. Like, I wasn't good at anything. I, <laughs> honestly. She may be being a little hard on herself. After all, 15 years later, she became the premier of British Columbia. Being a politician is like being a carpenter. You, learn, you get better at it. Now, the early days in politics didn't look the same for all of these women. Some won and found themselves sitting in the opposition benches. Others won and sat in the back benches of a governing party. And others won and quickly made their way to the cabinet table. And in one case, Eva Ariak from Nunavut, she won her first election and was immediately named as premier. I, I was surprised. Um, there were two other male members that were competing for the same, premier, the same position. And um, so I, I, I was surprised and very humbled. You know, when I put my mind to it, when I decide that I want to do something, I don't think about my gender. It didn't, it wasn't one of the things that, oh, I'm on the, I'm the only female uh, member. No, I, it didn't occur to me right away. If it did, it was not one of the things that stood out for me. What really stood out for me was, oh my, I'm elected now. What I, now the real work starts. Imagine that transition. But let's get back to those early days. For most, life in politics starts in the backbenches, and that's not necessarily a bad thing. The three years when I was not a minister were very, very important. That's Kathleen Wynne. She was first elected as a member of provincial parliament in Ontario in 2003 at the age of 50. And in fact, I feel lucky that I had the opportunity to serve on committees and to be a backbencher um, and, and to get to know how the system worked uh, before I was thrown into uh, a ministerial position. Because once you're a minister, you have less, you have less uh, opportunity to see what's happening across government. As a backbencher, serving on committees, serving on cabinet committees, you see everything. Everything comes your way and you get to speak on everything in the House. So you really get a, a broad education uh, about what is happening in government. And so I, I got to understand what was happening in, in government in a way that I wouldn't have if I'd gone straight into a ministry. Learning about how a government actually works, 
Well, it's more than just learning about policies. Politics in and of itself brings together strange and different uh, people, uh, perspectives, approaches, ambitions, and so on. Uh, you know, we tend to be all A-type personalities. We all have strong ideas. Kathy Dunderdale started her life in politics, serving on a town council in 1985. She was 33. So while she might have been new to the Newfoundland and Labrador legislature, by the time she was first elected in 2003, she was no stranger to politics. Well, there can be a great collegiality um, uh, um, if things are going well amongst a group of uh, elected officials in a party, for example. Um, there is also a great deal of competition because most people don't want to sit on the back bench. Uh, you know, they want to be in a place of a greater influence. Um, they want to be at the cabinet table. And they, you, you know, they, they, they've come here for a reason and they want to get in the most influential spot, you know, where they can have the greatest effect. And so, uh, <laughs> when things are good, things are usually pretty good. Uh, when things start to go sideways, and the polls are usually the first indicators of that, um, then, um, then things can get rough, and things can get rough in caucuses. Kathy started her provincial career in the backbenches, and it didn't take long for things to get rough. You know, in our first term, uh, you know, we got elected in October. Uh, in January, we were in a full-fledged strike of uh, the public service. We had 40,000 people out on the street because we were offering zero, zero, and zero because basically we were bankrupt. Um, uh, you know, we introduced legislation to change uh, how we did consolidation in our fishery, which would have a tremendous effect on fishers and communities that wasn't well received. And uh, people were outraged. Like in the first couple of t terms of going into the House of Assembly, we, we went in under, under police escort. I mean, it was rough. And, you know, people would be in the galleries and they'd be shouting down at you and, I mean, be saying awful things about your mother and your relatives, your children and your pets. You lost your innocence pretty quickly about what you were dealing with here. So the early days of life in politics can include police escorts, competition, tension among colleagues, and insults. And those are the experiences of backbenchers. And then there are those who get promoted to cabinet. The election was on Monday, and on Thursday I was in the cabinet with two portfolios. Sometimes, right away. I didn't know too much about government. I had uh, had a discussion when I said I would run, and in that discussion the cabinet had come up. And I said, I don't want to be in the cabinet. I want to be in business and look after the constituents. Anyway, uh, what happened was the... Premier uh, had caucus of all the new elected members, and he said at the end, I'll read out the cabinet. He read out the cabinet, and there was Minister of Health and Social Services. 
Well, this is a huge honor for any politician, particularly those just starting out. It can take a little prodding to get there. So I immediately went to his executive assistant and I said, I don't want to be in the cabinet. And uh, he said, well, it's out now and the deputies are meeting the ministers in, in the room over there. So I said, I want to see the premier. So I got in and uh, there was a, another member there that was going to be the next lieutenant governor. And he looked at me and he said, do you want a career in politics? I said, I have no idea. And he said, well, if you walk out that door and you don't take this cabinet post, it's game over. So I called my brother, who I was in business with, and we discussed it. And he said, well, you know, I'll support you. Do what you want to do. So that's how I ended up in the cabinet. It's a story that Alison Redford knows well. Then I got to Edmonton, and uh, it was funny because I, I, was, I was elected, and then there's this quiet period that happens. You know, your campaign goes out and takes down your campaign signs, and then all of, you know, someone from the legislature calls and says, okay, we need this paperwork, and then you hear nothing. I didn't anyway from anyone for three or four days, and I went about my business, and took my dogs for a walk and went grocery shopping. And, and uh, there was press on the night. There was a lot of press on the night um, because people were tar- starting to speculate that I might be in cabinet because I was elected and I was a woman and I was a lawyer. Um, but it really was here and there to me. So I went on with my life. And then about four days later, I got a call from the premier asking me to be the justice minister. And that sort of um, accelerated things. I think if, I'd, if I had continued to be serving as an MLA, from what I saw with my fellow MLA colleagues, there was still a couple of weeks of, you know, uh, you know, come on up and we'll do an orientation and we'll get you in office and things like that. But when you're going to go into the cabinet, it's different. It's, okay, now we need you tomorrow. Kim Campbell, the only woman to serve as Prime Minister of Canada, also remembers getting that life-changing phone call to join then-Prime Minister Brian Mulroney's cabinet. In January, I get a call uh, saying the Prime Minister would like to see me in Ottawa on, the, on, a, on a Sunday, I think it was. So, I mean, it's, it's clear you're going to be invited to be in cabinet. But uh, so I, you know, fly down to, to, to Ottawa. I'm very tired. And we wind up going with my husband and we wound up taking the red eye. I didn't really know how to get there without uh, taking the red eye to get there in time to be available for a meeting on Sunday. So I get there and I'm very, very tired and I've got a call saying um, the Prime Minister will see you at 7 o'clock. And by this time, sort of late, I thought they meant 7 the next morning. So and my father had come down. He said, I don't want to miss this. So I'm there with my husband and my father in Ottawa. And so finally I say, well, this is ridiculous. Let's go out and get something to eat. So we go to eat, come back, and the phone is ringing off the hook. Where are you? The prime minister you know, has asked the RCMP to look for you there. <laughs> oh, 7 o'clock tonight. So I see my life flashing before my eyes <laughs> as I am just buttered up by a big chance to go into cabinet. So the prime minister was staying at Harrington Lake, so he, he called me from Harrington Lake. He said, well, you know, should be having this conversation in, in person, you know, and I'm like, oh, yeah, yes, yes, yes. <laughs> I just felt like such an adult. Imagine, doesn't show up for her meeting with the prime minister. Being appointed to cabinet is an honor that has not been extended to very many women throughout Canadian history. The first female cabinet minister 
wasn't appointed until 1957, about 60 years ago. And it wasn't until the mid-1980s when women started to hold even about one in every 10 cabinet seats. 35 years later, in 2015, we saw the first ever gender-balanced federal cabinet. But on average, most Canadian provincial cabinets are still dominated by men. And as these women will tell you, it doesn't take long in office to learn that this is true of most of our political institutions, cabinets, legislatures, and parties. Here's Pat Duncan, who was first elected to the Yukon Legislative Assembly in 1996 at the age of 36. By age 40, she was the premier. I used to be surprised when, well, it surprised me at first when we were a party of three and the Yukon party were a party of three. They were three men and we had Jack. And the frequency with which Jack would happen to run into the either the leader or some of the members of the Yukon party in the washroom and then come back and say, this is what we'll do in question period, kind of surprised me a little. Kathleen Wynne shared a similar sentiment. It was very clear to me that uh, the legislature was, or it was recently, an old boys club, you know. It, it was very male-dominated, um, although we, we came in and we had a larger number of women, and so that's, that was starting to change. But um, the institution was men. But does that really matter? What difference does it make? When we first formed government, for example, we didn't have we didn't have a policy on poverty reduction, and it was the women's caucus. We formed a women's caucus. It's a women's caucus led by Deb Matthews, who you know made the case to our caucus that we should have a we should have a, a policy position on and a strategy for poverty reduction. And I can remember the discussion. There was you know there was some discussion about who our, who our voters were. And um, I remember standing up and saying, well, yeah, okay, people who are living in deep poverty may not vote for us, but there are lots of people who do vote for us who care about that. First of all, that shouldn't be the reason that we would do it. But even if you want to make the, the partisan political argument, there are lots of people who care about poverty and we need to be paying attention to those voices as well. So... Um, so that's not sexism per se, except that it was an issue that had not been raised by the men. And it was reinforcement of the research that we now have much um, clearer visibility into that when you have a critical mass of women at the table, different issues get discussed. She's right. Research shows very clearly that when women are at the table, different issues get raised. Different things happen. More people benefit particularly women. And that's exactly what happened when Canada's female first ministers got into politics. They were able to champion issues they cared about at a whole new level. Mental health. Gun control. Land claims. Jobs. Healthcare. Equity and education. Infrastructure. Climate. Confederation. Bridge. LGBTQ rights. Childcare workers. Fairness. Equal opportunity. The early days of life in politics aren't easy, but it was the chance to work on things that actually mattered that kept them going. No one tells this story better than Nellie Cornier, a residential school survivor who would go on to become the premier of the Northwest Territories. 
the oil and gas industry had come up in a big bang, you know, really big bang. Really weren't expecting it. The government had decided to move or move a clavic and create a new town called Inuvik. And, you know, it wasn't entirely for the people. You know, it was, they wanted to have an airport uh, and a large airport. I think that um, without any really plan, um, um, with the moving of the community and the oil and gas industry coming in, and all of a sudden discussion about ownership, land, who should do things what way, who was in charge, how were decisions made, was really, really absolutely taken away from the people who were totally self-sustaining. She knew that the stakes were high, and being an elected official gave her the ability to act. So it was, I guess, it. well, now you better try it, you know. So that's how I got to be in, in, in an elected position at the legislative or the government of the Northwest Territories. More things happened as we went along, you know, and then finally in 84, the claim was settled. And by that time, I, you know, it, it was really hard to keep on going or difficult to keep on going. So how do you keep on going? People ask me, what, what do I have to do to get in politics? I said, you have to have a burning gut to do something. If you don't have it, you, sure, you can get in it. But you'll get torn down very quickly, you know, psychologically and mentally. But you really, really have to believe in something and what you're doing. You have to have a, you know, a, a, a target. That's what got these women into politics. And that's what kept them going when they got there. One of the most delightful things about being involved in democratic politics is this opportunity to learn about your society. But also you learn that politics is not an abstract exercise. Real flesh and blood people are affected by what you do. And therefore, if you go out and you meet with them, uh, you'll learn a lot and you'll probably avoid making a lot of mistakes. And many of the decisions you make affect people right away, quite immediately. So there you have it. Life in Politics for Women presented an unparalleled opportunity to make change and affect people's lives. This is power. Maybe not the way you see it played out on House of Cards. It's a different kind, a more meaningful kind. It can be alluring, it can be rewarding, it can be difficult. And as these women will all soon find out, it can be fleeting. We will continue to walk alongside our female leaders in their journey in and out of Canadian politics in the next episode called Stepping Into the Ring. We've just heard about life in politics. As a rookie elected official, as a backbencher, as a rising star in the ministerial ranks. These women have a lot in common, including taking a leap that very few women in all of Canadian history have taken. They run for leadership. They cast their eye towards Canada's peak political post, and they go for it. And we're going to hear all about it in Stepping Into the Ring. As always, you can subscribe and learn more about this project at nosecondchances.ca. Coming up on No Second Chances. Yeah, I can recall the snarky comments. I had to run. Couldn't let those housewives be in charge. There's that built-in bias that men and, and women have of women that... We're just not capable of performing to a higher level. People always underestimate women, and sometimes it's good to be underestimated. I think there's a certain Hail Mary pass that when you know you're in trouble, 
you try to find somebody who's the same, only different, uh, you know, to lead you. And the idea that by you know, having Canada's first female prime minister, that you might get a, a leg up on what was going to be a very difficult political fight, I think, was attractive. Why was it open? It was open because none of the men wanted it. We didn't have a chance. No Second Chances is a special project of Canada 2020, written and hosted by me, Kate Graham. It's produced by Sarah Turnbull and I, and recorded and edited by Aaron Reynolds. Our music is composed and performed by Meredith Yeyanos. Mira Ahmad is the Communications and Operations Manager at Canada 2020, which is led by Executive Director Alex Patterson. And this project would not be possible without the generous support of MasterCard. there, it's Sarah from the 2020 Network, brought to you by Interact. If you like what you heard today and want to find out more about what Canada 2020 is up to, add yourself to our mailing list. That's where we share the details of our upcoming events and initiatives. And if you haven't yet already, subscribe to the 2020 Network. You can find us wherever you get your podcasts. We've got four awesome shows suited to everyone's unique tastes. On quality content, host Alex Patterson chats with people shaping Canadian culture writers, politicians, comedians, musicians, and more. 2020 Live is your opportunity to sit in remotely to Canada 2020 events. We bring you the highlights from everything that goes down in our studio space. On Explain Like I'm Vibe, we invite guests in to break down really complex yet topical issues to host Aaron Reynolds. There's no fluff, no buzz terms, just the basics. And finally, Endthread, our Friday morning current affairs panel. Shannon Proudfoot of McLean's, David Reevely of the Canadian Press, and myself will be there each week to break down the headlines that shape the Canadian poly conversation. So go now and subscribe.